It is 18 hours 31 minutes East African time, time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday, this being Wednesday the 8th of June 2022. Hamjambo Nakaribuni. Hello and welcome. As general elections loom, 62 days away now, this is a pivotal moment for organs for the dissemination of news and information to come into their own. I would like to scan-read, so to speak, relevant snippets from Articles 33, 34 and 35 of our Constitution 2010. Article 33 states that every person has the right to freedom of expression, but this does not extend to incitement to violence, hate speech or advocacy of hatred that constitutes ethnic incitement, vilification of others or incitement to cause harm. Article 34 guarantees freedom of the media and goes on to state that all state-owned media shall be free to determine independently the editorial content of their broadcasts or other communications, be impartial and afford fair opportunity for the presentation of divergent views and dissenting opinions. Parliament shall enact legislation that provides for the establishment of a body independent of government control and political and commercial interests, which reflects the interests of all sections of the society and which sets media standards and regulates and monitors compliance with those standards. And lastly, Article 35 states on access to information that the state shall publish and publicize any important information affecting the nation. But that is the 2010 Constitution. If radio is considered the most widespread form of mass communication, then our guest can be considered a veritable doyen of the medium. We shall get to know him by name later. But for now, he can give us a brief history of broadcasting in Kenya. Ndugu, we have been in the game together, it must be admitted, from the outset. How far have we traveled? Oh. Kenya Broadcasting Service. The service came first? Yes. Okay. And then at independence, then it was renamed to, it was named Kenya, uh, Voice of Kenya, Sautia Kenya. Uh, that's after independence, we had Sautia Kenya. Mind you, we had only one radio station, one television station in the country. So there was dominance. And uh, by the national station, uh, which had a reach of all over the country. I think I've just forgotten to say something, which is uh, the previous radio stations, and including the Voice of Kenya, depended on rebroadcasts from uh, the BBC. We were broadcasting many programs from London, uh, especially when it came to news uh, coverage, correspondence of the BBC could be heard here. So that was the history. And then VOK lasted until 1982, August. 
after the coup, <laughs> then it was renamed to become Kenya Broadcasting Corporation, not service, because they wanted to change the image. The coup, uh, the, what do we say, the coup which was quashed, unsuccessful coup, was actually masterminded from the uh, VOK station. It was the only station everybody could listen to it from uh, all over the country. So when they said that the government has been overthrown, the whole country believed that because it was the national broadcaster. Um, that is how important it was. Um, of course, the station has evolved. The Voice of Kenya, when it started, as I told you, we had um, an element of outside broadcasting. Even the Americans were bringing in their programs. This is the Cold War era where there was a lot of competition uh, between the superpowers and the British tried to hold their grip on the voice of Kenya in a way or another. And by one of the ways was to uh, allow uh, their station to rebroadcast uh, BBC programs, which actually represented the British view. So that was actually what happened. And we continued, I think, the whole of the 60s, but eventually all the broadcasts from London were stopped. These are the rebroadcasts from London. Our correspondent, all the world news was coming from there. And initially it was not even easy for the voice of Kenya to be able to cover the world uh, because of logistical problems. We didn't have correspondents all over. We were depending on wire services and the Ministry of Information, KNA, Kenya News Agency, which had representatives in every district. But even that, we could only sparsely cover the world. So there was reliance on the British Broadcasting Corporation for many, many years. I, th I don't remember the date exactly, but I think it was around the early 70s, if not 70, 1970 itself, that we ceased using any broadcast from London. And the problem actually was not because of the content of the programs, it was uh, actually news, international news, which the BBC also was providing to their local uh, audiences, the problem was political. Because sometimes they will uh, broadcast critical news against Kenya. And there's no way to control that. So that had to be put on hold. The government of the day was being criticized sometimes by the BBC. And the authorities that were didn't like that. And that's why they put a halt to it. Uh, that is what I really do believe. Well, there's an overlap there, Ndugu, because uh, in my own career as a youngster, uh, just coming back from the United Kingdom with my parents where my father had gone to study, I was discovered at a speech day by a gentleman from the BBC and co-opted into what was then the Kenya School's Broadcasting division where we taught people certain things. I was a talent for the teaching of English and uh, this takes me all the way back to 1966. So we're talking about names like Robert Beaumont, Roma Baraclough, Peter King, who were teaching us the ropes. I'm sure you remember them too. And uh, the thing that I would like to evoke in, for our discussion is I remember as uh, now a university undergraduate reading the news in English for the general service of the Voice of Kenya with names like George Opio, Abdul Haq uh, as the great names of the day. 
and we read something which was called the way it is. Hivyo ndivyo ilivyo. In other words, these were daily edicts which came from government, which gave a line of thinking that had to be espoused by the entire nation. Do you think that we have moved on if we want to unite ourselves by having all these disparate voices and a thousand channels in so many different languages? Is this a great leap forward? Actually, we have made a lot of developments. But before I start talking about the later days, uh, the Voice of Kenya started taking a political stand in 1966 at the formation of the KPU, Kenya People's Union, by Mzee Jaramogi Oginga Odinga. Then, you know, all these programs started. Two things. One, this program which you're talking about was started first to criticize KPU, that KPU had asked Wanataka uh, Chabure. Mm. And that was not actually the truth. KPU was agitating for not to repay the British settlers, taking a loan from Britain and repaying the British settlers. In other words, you're buying back your land and people were asking, why Yeah, are we really buying back our land? From whom did they buy? But the British government had come with an arrangement, I think it was 10 million pounds to repay and Kenya will be paying it slowly. Um, so the position of, this is when we started becoming a political station, uh, slanted and biased. Uh, that was 1966, but before that, they were not involved in a lot of politics. Mind you, uh, by then, uh, Kadu had already been amalgamated into uh, Kanu, and it became one party, so was APP, Akamba People's Union. Uh, so um, that is when we, the, the great departure was there. The second great departure of getting politically uh, a political angle was against Tanzania because Tanzania came up with that Kenya is uh, uh, Kenya is man-eat-man society. So we had to think, and, and people here had to come and say, okay, they are also man-eat-nothing. <laughs> you see, okay. that's how it all started, and the closure of the borders and nearly the breakup of the East African community. Yeah. So the voice of Kenya became more or less now a mouthpiece of the government of the day. Of course, in 1969, I think, all political parties were banned and Kenya became a one-party state. state. Right. And then we had all to toe the line and get, you know, edicts and, what should I say, editorials written in the office of the president. And but we the, knew question, yeah, the question I asked is, uh, going forward is in terms of national unity, uh, doesn't it serve for all of us to toe the line to become true Kenyans? Is it a bad thing? Because we can get into the business of saying we will imitate, we will ape what is going on elsewhere in the world. But is this the Kenyan solution to the Kenyan problem, which is rooted in the whole idea of ethnicity, tribalism, what you will? I think there's a distinction between towing the line and becoming good citizens. Mm. When you're a good civil servant, uh, uh, you know, citizen, law-abiding, paying your taxes, 
uh, obeying orders, lawful orders, that's fine. But people have a right to agitate against injustice. You know, when somebody is calling, you know, it, it, it becomes difficult. And this is, the two are not contradictory, actually. What actually happens, you can still become a law-abiding citizen, uh, somebody who doesn't want to bring disruption in the country, you know, or cause any problems. But at the same time, you don't lose your inalienable right to speak up against uh, injustices, indeed, if they are there. And uh, so this is what actually some politicians have been doing, and most of them suffered. Uh, they went to detention, they were detained. Uh, if you go back and ask why were they detained, flimsy reasons, really very flimsy reasons, uh, in terms of today. Today people say even things which are worse than what they were saying at that point. But if you just brooked, if you just thought about trying to criticize the government at those days in any form, then you are considered to be the opposition, disruptive, trying to bring the government down when you're not. So, um, so what I'm trying to say here, John, is that, uh, and you know this because you have been in this business for very many years, there is legitimate criticism and there is disruptive criticism. Of course, disruptive criticism is not good. Uh, at any given point in government, you criticize things which you really feel if the government is going the wrong direction, people have got a right to speak against it. And this is what the opposition was saying, uh, KPU was saying during days, that we're not going to buy our land back. Our land is our land. Yep. We'll stop there for a moment and then continue. Ndugu, uh, we must fast forward to the present day. Uh, this is a very rich conversation, but as, as we said at the beginning, elections are looming. And we look at the Constitution talking about the power of the media in the struggle against the incitement to violence, hate speech, hatred, constitutional uh, fight against ethnic incitement. Would you like to, to comment on this enormous power and how it's being used, effectively or badly? Obviously, the media is a very strong component of election, or electioneering, and there are all kinds of issues which are there. First of all, it's a question of ownership. Um, there's the saying, <coughs> I'm sorry, there's the saying come that whoever pays the piper calls the tune. So if public, if, if a very strong medium is owned by an individual, obviously they will sway. They can sway. But so far, so good. I am of the view that although there is bias, sorry, I'm coughing. <coughs> although there is bias, uh, slanted news presented by some stations, giving a lot of airtime to some station to some sections of the political groupings. But in general, I think 
they are doing very well. I'd like, I'd, I'd like to draw you on that because the constitution talks about the authority of the state to influence things. But you know, and I and I know, Ndugu, that the the, the the major stations here are privately owned and and they do seem to have an agenda thus far you're giving them nine out of ten for trying very hard or is this again appealing to this argument that of all the african countries kenya is way above the rest so we're being sort of a paternalistic attitude towards us that we're doing very well for an african country it's difficult for us to look at it Broadly, you have to go to case to case and look at a particular coverage, whether it is biased or not. So it's not easy for me to say that they are biased. But, of course, we see some slant in supporting a certain political party. But generally speaking, I think uh, they give it a fair stab. But you spoke to the power, and you're telling me that the power and Dugu is being misused. Yeah, in instances, and you're yeah, saying, but it's okay to misuse it because we're trying very hard. That that is that is my small print for you. Yeah, it's the world over. As I said, it's uh, whoever pays the piper calls the tune. Mm-hmm. And some media owners have said that they are not involved in the editorial decisions, and the editorial decisions are separate from them. They try to support somebody, but it doesn't really mean that the station should support that particular person. Ndugu, it's, it's not uh, fully true. Ndugu, if you look at the Constitution again, look at the, the language issue. We have this idea. I think the Constitution says that Kiswahili is our national language. Yes. And that English and Kiswahili are our official languages. Yes. Yet we have a proliferation of stations which to date are called vernacular stations, broadcasting in people's mother tongue, so to speak. Now, given the example of countries like Rwanda, we can cite our neighbors and brothers and sisters across borders. Is this a good thing? Because we're working towards a better Kenya, and we're looking for Kenyan solutions to Kenyan problems. Should we not get rid of these so-called vernacular stations? No, we shouldn't get rid of them. That's my view. Why? That's a rich, you know, uh, heritage for the country. Why should we destroy a language? And by the way, you call them vernacular, and this is what they are called. There are some people who think that the word vernacular is abrasive, it's disparaging, and then these are nationalities. For instance, if we look at some tribes in this country or ethnic groups in this country, one country's ethnic group is uh, another country's national group. The population of some of our uh, ethnic groups here, I, I like to call them ethnic groups, is more than, say, for instance, than Rwanda. I think there are three or four ethnic groups in this country, and there, Kenya Rwanda is seen as the official language, is accepted, and the national language as well. But here, we have got uh, this. So uh, there is a very serious heritage issue here. It has been discussed before. The problem is monitoring them. You have to monitor them, and I don't know whether we have got the capacity to monitor them, uh, like what actually happened in Eldoret. It is not even in Rwanda. Lakini ndugu kama kila mtu atakuwa anatangaza kwa lugha yake, kuna lugha nyingi. Na inchi ni moja. Hilo swali nakuuliza. Ni kweli, lakini pili kuna makosa gani ya kutangaza katika lugha fulani? Sio kosa. 
kutangaza katika lugha hiyo ipo hiyo ni lugha ni lugha ya nchi hiyo kuitangaza utakuwa hakuna hakuna tatizo alafu kuna jambo lingine there is another issue also english and kiswahili are not spoken by everybody very well they don't understand some of the reports which i see is very difficult for them to be understood by the ordinary mwananchi in their own language in in the english language or in the swahili language so you I, need someone to translate I, I, to I them take your concepts. point entirely we're talking about elections what about sensitizing one of the roles of uh, the radio the broadcast media is to educate the people now uh, how how would you as a broadcaster of long standing set about solving the problem of making sure that the entire population of Kenya is alive to the issues of the day when people are presenting them in their own fashion they're going to say oh our candidate is being hard done by don't vote for that terrible party because they hate us this is what's happening on the ground you're talking sort of philosophical uh, broad empirical statements but the truth on the ground through experience is that these are instruments for division i put it to you if they put out nefarious statements like that there are laws in this country and there is a communication uh, council whatever board in this country they are licensed and their licenses can be withdrawn um so this is a question of managing you know the outputs but i'm going to ask you probably you know more about it than i do mm. give me a single instance about where a license has been withdrawn that's a problem the right. problem yes. is the laws are there but right. the problem is enforcement right again i agree with you entirely and then the constitution saying that this independent body should be impartial and afford fair opportunity it's a bit like i don't know um cardinals in the catholic church or the members of the us um, supreme justice where if a president manages to put in people of republican leaning sentiments this media council by its very nature cannot be unbiased and unfair i agree with you entirely right uh when they call about an independent body these they are appointed by the government of the day all the leaders of that and they depend on the government of the day so this business of saying that they are independent is not true as are all kwangos right yeah they are not independent they are all appointees uh actually this is a reward for their services to the government of the day or the party of the day and therefore they are given a reward so i agree with you entirely that the problem is there is the word and the spirit right the word is that what you just said but the spirit how to enforce it is what is the problem the, that is the problem we have and the problem and the problem shouldn't be the problem because the the, the opening lines of the constitution says that the people are paramount and this is a question that i've put to so many of ge- of the guests almost each and every one is that is this just high sounding rhetoric you have a problem you're told you tell your child that they have great powers to do something in the household and then when they say well dad mom we want this to happen you say no dad has said no mom has said no you have got no real power yeah the people are paramount are the words in the constitution yes and this is only comes into effect when you go to courts when the courts will determine that the people are paramount but in ordinary interactions these are words which are just mouthed by the politicians but they don't 
give power to the people as they are required to. Right. You uh, see? I, I, so I, I agree I, with you. We've got a few more minutes to go uh, before the next break. And this idea of, uh, again, the words of having divergent opinions and views. We're talking about sort of presidential debates. And then we have this idea of the two-horse race. In other words, we've uh, determined from the outset that only two people count in the process. What about the Green Party? What about the Communist Party? Where do you think the media ought to give them a voice so that we hear what they have to say? And maybe, maybe people might be inclined to elect a president who's for the Green Party. It's not the business of the media to give publicity to a small group there, which is of but no they consequence. Do, but, but they do, which they, is of no consequence, you're saying. Yeah, if they're not having the population behind them, if they have got some weight within the government, then the media are required to, within the population, the media are required to... Mind you, these two horse races, these people have worked to become that horse. And they have got the people who are supporting them. So just to come there and say, because I've got a, a, a political party which I've just formed here, and so I'm the chairman of the political party and I should be given airtime, I think the media has a responsibility to ask that person, do you have the support? And look at the margin of support. If they have got 20%, 15%, then do welcome them and allow them to participate in the debate. But, you know, you, you, there are so many parties. And, by the way, this is not only something which is peculiar to Kenya or Africa. It's all over the world. It's two-horse race. Some people have been able to garner enough votes, enough supporters in the country, and therefore they are of consequence. And they are, one of them is going to become the president. And one of them is going to have the majority in parliament. We, we, we can say that. Even now we know that there are two parties in this country. One of them is going to have the majority. Both the presidential candidate and the House of Parliament and including the gubernatorial governor's you know, seats in this country. We know that. Some people won't have any votes. They have just a name there. The media has a responsibility to say, look here, old chap, we are sorry. We are not going to give you airtime to propagate what you say because you don't have the weight. Sorry. On that firm note, we shall have another break. Ndugu, uh, we always try to find some way of uh, involving our listeners by talking to them beforehand. And um, on this particular uh, edition, we've put to them this idea of truth-telling and, and the, the idea of the faith that can be put in our broadcasting. And we've put, I'd like you to listen to the answers to this question. Do you believe that the news presented to you is the truth? the news being representative of the level of faith. Na kwa kiswahili, je, unamini habari unazopokea kutoka vyombo vya habari ni za ukweli? I don't believe so because it might be true or wrong unless we get from the bottom of the story where the, the source of the information from. 
ile kitu tunaweza kuamini ama naweza kuamini ni kitu ambacho nimejionea ile ambayo inaletwa siwezi kuamini hadi percent hiyo kitu tunaibilifu ni neutral unless you see it uione ndio ujue kweli ujaji wewe mwenyewe i can't believe it unless it is confirmed because we have fake no, uh, news and the true news so we have to confirm that you get the person then you get the correct answer Mwanzo mwanzoni vitu hivi vilipoanza vilikuwa vinashughulikia pakubwa matatizo lakini unakuta kwamba yameweza kuingia kwenye biashara mara mingi wanahamari kibia kulingana na event kitu kimetokea pale frani so in this case wanalaina what people say wanakilia kulingana na vile maoni na unajua wana wananchi want to hear maybe they were the border border people who were there wale wali witness so wanapenda information kulingana na vile waliona so for some reason i can say not everything that is presented to us as news is true wasimamizi wenge ama media owners wa radio nyingi ama television nyingi hawajasomea utangazaji nyingi zina lack operational independence but not content independence ndugu <laughs> disparate views can you comment on them i think they are a bit harsh they are being harsh by saying that uh, they, you know unless they are there to see they can't be all over the country to see where the news is and in some of this news is generated for instance by politicians and we hear them speaking i don't think this station can go out all the way to manufacture news no they will lose their reputation so what actually happens is what is reported and if uh, there are avenues of criticizing that station or bringing them to book if they do indeed spread uh, false news we do have of course the alternative media where people post stuff right in the internet it's uh, open and people are able to spread uh, lies uh, to spread untruths about um, uh, about a personality or about a particular event about what has been said and some people try to pray with the videos right and make people say things which they never said of course that is there but if we are talking about the mainstream media mainstream media in this country i don't think they will go out to give you know lies about something unless of course they they got the story wrong but i don't think that would happen okay i ndugu i'd like to draw you on this idea of the competition that now exists the idea of alternative media social media facebook instagram you name it in your own experience have you may i be personal have you progressed to being a major player on these platforms or have you stayed generationally hooked to listening to the radio and watching tv i do listen to tiktok sometimes yes uh and of course i've got whatsapp mm. Uh, but i'm not really into that alternative media right because of time really i don't have the time for that but you you, you recognize their power which is a legitimate one and a forceful one yeah they have got their power but you see again uh, a lot of them now don't have even the audience because people want to say how are you ongo these are liars they say all kinds of things and people after they're listening the, to the news once twice three times later on the public the listenership comes up to a conclusion and says that these are liars same when 
you know, one of the mainstream stations shows a slant or favoritism towards a particular candidate, people will say, People talk. Yes. People talk. I want to draw you on this idea again. Let's use the word ethnicity. We read the papers and somebody would say, I am withdrawing. Uh, I'm going to run independently on my own. And when I, if you reject me from your uh, master plan, you, I'm going to take my people with me and you will lose two million votes. Or we're going to a region which is considered to be vote rich. We talk about the vote rich such and such region. So we are arguing at cross purposes the idea of having a viewpoint, expressing it, retaining our languages. But what can be done to this culture of instant division where you say, I'm leaving and I'm leaving with my whole family? Ethnicity. Surely the broadcaster has a role to play. Surely there can be some strictures placed so that people don't play this sort of tribal and ethnic game ad infinitum. Yeah, they do have a role to play. They have to confront the leaders of these uh, groupings and tell them that what they are doing is not right. As Who's they? Who's going to? The head of this, the, 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 the media. Right. Journalists, they, they get interviewed. That's, that's the bit which the media can do. Uh, who do the interviews? Like you, when you interview these politicians and say, look, you are now ahead, uh, heading a clique, a tribal clique. Uh, of course, they will deny no, and the, say they Sorry, the, the small print is they're not heading, they're promising that with their withdrawal, mm -hmm. the tribal clique will withdraw en masse in support. How long is this going to persist? Is, is this a worldwide phenomenon? Would you say that this is the way in which the French elections are run? Oh, the British elections? There is a class system. There is a class countries. system, yes. Yeah, but this is a very sad phenomena yeah. that a particular person is um, has got the sway to say such a thing on a purely tribal or ethnic you know, grounds, not because uh, of political vision. Or I, Ndugu, I'm forever exercised by the number of documents, statements, speeches that speak of an African renaissance, of the African rebirth, of the African renewal. And let's take away African and plonk in Kenya in all these instances. I I'm saying be a prophet, be a seer, how will we ever be rid of these negatives going forward if they reemerge every five years? And every five years, the, the ultimate fear is that we might revert to some kind of violence. It's not to be ruled out. John, you must be aware that there are some regions in this country which has got a huge population, maybe the second biggest population as an ethnic group, who have had diverse voting patterns, not in this election. They are not actually tribal in the way they, the outlook is. This also is, there are some regions which are like that. And if you don't mind, I can mention it, it's Western, right? They don't have this tribalism or tribal king or whatever. They vote according to their conscience or whatever they feel like. That's a good development. I think the days will come to an end for this ethnic 
leadership which says that we have got so many million votes and we'll go there. It's a dent to their political profile. I don't find them to be very exciting. But, John, I think there's a subject which we have to touch on, and this is very important, is that politics has become a money-making enterprise. What say you? It's no longer like before. You know, when we started here in 1966, what you're talking about, members of parliament were being paid 900 shillings, and they're depending on mileage allowance to try and make a living. Permanent secretaries, undersecretaries were earning more than them. Directors were earning more than them. Now it has become a money-making enterprise. And a lot of these people are trying to improve their persons rather than improve the nation. And this is what actually is happening. This is very sad that in 2002, after Kibaki Tosha, the first thing parliamentarians did was to increase their salary. 2008, they waited for the troubles to subside, and then about August 2008, they increased their salaries. Same 2017. They are blackmailing the government. Even financial bills, they say, look, if you don't increase our emolument, salary, and whatever, then we are not going to pass that bill. This is one of the dangers. Now, John, if that is not corruption, what is corruption? For somebody who is an employee to increase his or her salary. You know, if that is not corruption, what is corruption then? And this is what we are actually having. Politics in the country, and this is a very important element, it's not only with politicians, all cadres, quangos, even the judges. The salaries don't make sense. This country cannot sustain that kind of outlay. And something has to be done about it. And, you know, all the parliamentarians, it's not one particular party, all the political parties... In fact, the opposition in parliament were saying that, look, now, if somebody who is an employee increases, can I repeat that, yes. his salary, what is corruption then, if that is not corruption? Ndogo, I hear you, and I, you are being heard. I'd like to draw you again on, on, on a, a, a clause that I read earlier, and that is the state shall publish and publicize any important information affecting the nation. Now, when I gather with friends, relations, acquaintances, relatives, there are always, uh, you'd hear that there is a, a certain diplomatic uh, mission is giving out information about the true nature of, the, of, of politics in Kenya. So they're saying to their citizens, don't come to Kenya uh, because the information that we have at our fingertips indicates that it's not a, a safe place to be at the moment. And this is a diplomatic mission. Now, you can see where I'm going with this. If the state is usurped, surpassed by foreign who know more about what's going in our, on in our country than we do, would you like to comment on that? Oh, yes. Um, it quite happens quite often. It's being used as a diplomatic tool to try and cow the government of the day, I'm sad to say this, that we have lost a bit of our independence. At independence, we had leaders who could say no, who could even, you know, throw out of the country some of the diplomats who are misbehaving. But I'm suggesting that they, they, they do have, they know more, they know more than the state is <laughs> informing us of what's affecting our nation. 
put it the Sh- other way. Surely we should we should be the first to know whether we're about to be invaded by a neighboring country and not hear it from some diplomatic mission, or that there's a drought going to affect us. You should know, we be the first? It, maybe this information has actually been provided by our security services to the embassies. We know. We know everything which goes on here. Our security service are led to that. Uh, they know it. The problem is, uh, if you go and seek that information, or I go and seek that information, despite the Freedom of Information Act, as it were, you will not have access to that information. Um, the Western nations have been abusing that. I mean, they have been using it to try and bend politi- uh, uh to try and tell the Kenyans or the government of the day that there they are and they can impose sanctions against that country. Um, And because we're economically weak, we depend a lot on these Western nations. Uh, There are more serious threats which happen in Europe and no such action is taken by the Americans, for instance, to say that Americans should not travel to France, although there are very many cases of terrorism cases in there this is something which is specific here. And until we have a spine, we have got a political spine. You see, that is the thing about the first independence uh, leaders, Jomo Kenyatta, Mzee Jomo Kenyatta, Nyerere, they say, go to hell. Sorry mm. for my... Yes. <laughs> we'll delete English. that. Yes. You see, well, they, 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 they had the spine. They could, they could say that. Yes. They could say, we don't need you. Yes. And Magufuli tried it in Tanzania yes. when he was there. He put down his foot. Mm. Uh, but now you have got a lot of the African leaders are compromised. Most of them actually have been placed there by the Western nations, and therefore they are <laughs> they take orders. There are some countries which are run by France in West Africa, for instance. They have got the force they frap, yes. and they tell somebody that you are either going to be the president and follow our directions, or you're out, and they can be out. One last break. Ndugu, let's turn the focus to you. Who are you? And tell us something about yourself. Uh, thank you, John Sibiokumo. Of course, you know who I am. <laughs> uh, but you want I'm, your I'm, listeners. I'm, I'm pretending not to, yes. <laughs> You're pretending not to. Uh, uh, John, we go back a long way. From 1966, um, I have been broadcasting for the past, what should I say? Did you say what your name was? Mohammed Abdullahi. Mohammed Abdullahi. Mohammed Abdullahi. Yes. I worked for the Voice of Kenya, rose to become head of the English service, which is general service in the 70s. Later on, I was taken to Kenya Institute of Mass Communication, where I taught for less than a year. And then I got a job with the Standard, which was well paying. So I worked there at the Standard newspaper. And later on, <clears throat> I went to England, London. I got a job with the BBC, uh, first with the Swahili service, and then I became an editor there. Um, I'm a Kenyan. Um, I know a bit of the history of this country. Um, it's interesting that in that backstory, um, the word Kakamega <laughs> comes into um, the mix. So. 
ethnically, um, one would say that um, you're not what you appear. You are, in fact, a Westerner. Tell yes. us a bit more about that. How uh, did by you end up in... I'm a Somali. Yes. But I actually don't think that most of my friends are not actually Somalis. I'm mm. just a Kenyan, yes. and I've got friends across the board. But how, how did your family find itself in in Kakamega in the early 60s? Not early 60s, early 40s. Early 40s, yes. Early 30s. Ex- yeah, explain that. Yeah, my father was a preacher, a missionary. Yes. Actually, I was raised by my grandmother, who was in Kakamega, Bomayo, Somali. Mm-hmm. So I was born in Kaimusi, but we lived in uh, Kakamega. I was so, born in Kaimusi. Yeah. So you are you're, you're a Somali Christian? No, I'm not a Somali Christian. So the missionary was a Muslim missionary? No, no. Yeah. My father was a Muslim missionary. Yes, yeah, a Muslim missionary. Yeah. Yes. But the first school which I attended was the Jeshida Okovu Salvation Army Primary School in Kakamega. Yes. So I all my life, I learned the alphabet through Christian teachers throughout my life, and I've lived with the Christians all my life. Did you end up speaking a, dial, a form of Luya? Oh, no. Uh, we moved then to Korea. Yes. Which is after Migori. So I speak a bit of Korea. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I've forgotten it because I've been away from the area for a long time. Actually, in 1966, before I joined um, Voice of Kenya, I was an untrained teacher. I started a Harambe school there, which is a secondary school now, um, in Korea, and I've lived there for a long time. So you went, you became a broadcaster. Does that mean that um, you were of such means that you had a radio when there were radios, you had a television? Because most people sort of say, I started off walking barefoot to school and look at me now. I'm wearing a suede jacket as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit more about the, 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 the leaning towards broadcasting. It was an accident, really. Um, I... It was serendipity. Mm-hmm. I just arrived there. Well, I went on a Saturday morning. I had already applied for two jobs from, two other jobs from, you know, one was the Kenya Music Commission and the other was Shell Company. Sorry for the advertising. <laughs> and I never got uh, the two jobs. And then one morning, Saturday, I went very early in the morning. Saturday was an official, people used to work on Saturdays. Um, so I went to College House, which is on Koinange Street, right at the corner there. That's where the directorate was of VOK. And I went there, and James Kangwana was the deputy director. You know James? The Indeed, James he, was, he was my boss. Yeah. Mm. So James Excellent was there, gentleman, yes. He was just impressed with me. By then, you know, I knew a bit of Shakespeare. I yes. knew a bit of Bunny Robert. Yes. And I could recite all this... So he was really impressed yeah. to find this young Somali lad who spoke very good Swahili. Who it's, a, it's the James Kangwana I knew because we had a bit of a feud in the studio when I was reading uh, and I had the nerve to, to correct um, the, the syntax of the English. And there was a big hullabaloo and they said, how can this young upstart dare to correct a senior editor such as me? Yeah. And it escalated all the way to the top yeah. Uh, and um, as the boss, James Kangwana, said, um, sorry, matey, but the young man is right, and you should all work together and learn from one another. So he was a wise man. 
but then we go back They're to names like they didn't know who you were. <laughs> they, 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 they. We must go back to names like Stephen Kikumu. Could yes. you evoke the great? Uh, he was my controller. Yes, and um, Leonard Mambo Botella. Surely yes, all Korea, these names. Yeah. yeah. So you were, you must have you were in the same sort of year group as Leonard. Yeah. Leonard had joined two years before me. He mm. Leonard Mambo joined immediately after independence, which was 1964. Right. I joined 1966. Same year I was doing schools broadcasting. Yes, Sammy yes. Louis. Yes. Where the others? Peter Clare, as you mentioned. Peter Charles Cla Robinson. Charles Robinson, yes. <coughs> <coughs> sorry, <coughs> later on I became, sorry, I've got a cough. Yes. Apologies to the listeners. Mm. Um, later on you became? Later on I became the head of the general service. Right. And therefore I started meeting these top, you know, broadcasters. The uh, the, yourself the, and the, the others. The query, the query that I can put to you, and, mm. and on a lot of these uh, talk shows, is and there was one of the one of the vox pops, one of the sample responses came about the quality of journalism. People talk about you know the the good old days, bring back the veterans, let them read the news for us. You said you taught at the KIMC. To what would you attribute uh, a lessening of of qualifications of of ability yeah surely surely the older you get mm -hmm. we're now 59 years old we're going to be 60 next year surely our broadcasters should be putting the likes of you and me to shame the recruitment process is not as rigorous as it was before my one of the jobs which i'm really proud of when i was the kenya institute of mass communication i recruited four ladies and all of them became top, top broadcasters, despite some resistance from the administration. But Levingston Guru, the late Levingston Guru, was the director of Kenya Institute of Mass Communication, you know, supported me. And he said, because I had been on the front line. So I, I know what to do. The problem is the recruitment is not as rigorous as it was. The education levels, this is, you know, broadcasting is an art. It's a talent, just like a handwriting. Some people have got, you remember the adverts which you used to have? You must have a flair mm. for the English language, right? Mm. You must have a flair for the Kiswahili language. You know, you see, one of the biggest problems which we have in this country is the examination in the Kiswahili language. A lot of these people who come with A star, A star, in the Kiswahili language, can't speak the language. Because what did they d study? They studied form, grammar, and things like that, but they can't speak the language. And so it's all to do with rigor in recruitment, uh, which was, by the time we were there, it was very important for people to avoid tests, to have written tests, to be checked, even without training. The education level now is higher. A lot of the people have got degrees in degrees, journalism, yeah, PhDs, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But what actually happens is that we recruited people with flair, right? You know what I mean? They're talented already, right? They spoke very good Kiswahili, and it was a bonus if you spoke both languages equally, right? English and Kiswahili. People go there because they've got a mass communication degree. 
Well, that yeah. does not make you a broadcaster. I'm sorry, maybe some people have got it. Broadcasting is, you know, we look at somebody who is going to be, it depends if you're behind the mic or in front of the mic. If you're in front of the mic, there's no problem. You don't have to, you know. But if you have to have, what is it? The gab. What is the it? gift of the gab. You have, must right. have the gift of the gab we, uh, right. uh, to be there. Mohammed, I'm going to ask you one last question and I'm going to give you a minute and 30 seconds maximum to answer it. Okay. And that is... Uh, Given uh, a trajectory that takes you back to 1966, uh, and there you are, got all your marbles, still compass mentis, thinking deep thoughts. Given the future of, of the broadcasting profession, what would you say? Forget constitutions and elections for a while. Let's go back to broadcasting and the radio in particular. What do you think needs to be done for us to up our game? Should we set up a school of flair where people sort of come uh, and speak Swahili all day? Or? Yeah, people should be, uh, I mean, it's something to do with organization or media owners. The recruitment policy should be strident and they should have people who have got a flair, uh, like some of the ladies who are here reading your news. They have got the flair and you, you can tell immediately that somebody is good at what they are doing. You know it, John. Yes, yeah. you're, just, you're just saying that to flatter Angela, but I'm sure she's, <laughs> going, she's going to make a complete... I'm not flattering her. I was actually impressed the way she was doing it. Right, okay. Anyway, on a light note, but you see, the problem is some people who don't have the gift of the gap right. who like to impose themselves, yes. right, yeah. into this business, John. You know, this business, it's got, you have to have some a certain element of talent. Yeah? Right. Flair, that yeah. is the word. Right. Uh, and y you cannot, you can have, we had so many guys who came from America yeah. with a master's degree in communication, and then we take them to the studio, my friend, <laughs> they flop, you know. Right. Well, really Mohammed, we mm. have to stop there. Uh, it's been a delight um, catching up with you again. Uh, I'm sure we, we must have met in all this about 40 years ago, uh, initially, and then it's been like a 25-year gap before I managed to track you down into this studio. So it's been an absolute delight and thank you very much. Do continue to give us feedback, dear listeners, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701-984-984. You've been listening to John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. Till next time.